0: News of the Times Wicked Wednesdays Pies of Death Welcome to News of the Times. In today's episode we look at three cases of poisoning by pie. Our first case, from 1783, was tantalisingly mentioned in passing within the papers. James Simister has been killed by eating a veal pie, that has been served to him. The pie was stuffed with poison. Our second case of 1850, which we covered before in murderous stories from the stage, recounts a tale of a woman who stalks a famous actor of his day and attempts to seduce him through a Spanish fly pie. Our last case from 1852 recounts the story of a married woman who falls for the charms of a young man courting her sister. Sarah Ann becomes completely besotted with the young man and looks to find a way to allow them to live together forever. Her answer, a poisoned onion pie. Three cases of death by pie are today's episode of Wicked Wednesdays. We very much hope... You enjoy the show. We start the show with this story that jumped out at us. James Simister of Wernoth, killed by a veal pie served by Elizabeth Betty Wood. With this tantalising throwaway news article, we searched and searched and came up with only a few facts about the case. We are guessing that Elizabeth was his common-law wife. Elizabeth's purchase of arsenic was traced to the day before. Upon eating the veal pie, James died shortly afterwards. We have no record of her arrest, but there is a news article stating that Elizabeth Wood and her two boys, upon the recent death not specified, intend to continue to run business as usual. Elizabeth Wood is not such an uncommon name. We can only speculate if this is the same Elizabeth Wood. From the Aris Birmingham Gazette, the 22nd of December, 1783, Chester Assizes. At Chester Assizes, which ended on Friday, the following persons were capitally convicted and received sentence of death via Betty Wood for the willful murder of James Simister by infusing a quantity of arsenic in a pie, which she gave to him and which he, having eaten apart, put a period to his existence in a few hours. Elizabeth, stalling for time, states that she is pregnant. Her execution is delayed. The fact that the suspected baby could only have come from her lover, Hickman, makes her indiscretion all the more heinous. From the Leeds Intelligence on the 4th of May, 1784, Executed at Broughton. Yesterday fortnight was executed at Broughton, near Chester, pursuant to her sentence Elizabeth Wood for the willful murder of James Simister, late of Bradbury, in Lancashire, by poison. This unfortunate woman procured a suspension of her execution for upwards of six months by the artifice of her pretended pregnancy. It is therefore to be hoped that she cultivated the length of time allotted to her in such a manner as to procure for her that remission in another state, which the enormity of her crime rendered impossible in this. She appeared to be about twenty-four years of age and met her melancholy end with the utmost resignation. Sadly, we have no other information on this particular case. Our regular listeners will be familiar with the stalking case of a famous actor of his day, and the unfortunate repercussions from his admirer's attempt to woo him through the means of a Spanish fly-high. Elphinstone and the Spanish Fly-Tart Martha Sharp Martha Sharp recently widowed in 1850 with two small girls, Who was twenty-six years old and lived near Commercial Road in London with her friend Sarah Holborough. The two women could often be seen walking around Whitechapel with a habit of loitering outside the Royal Pavilion Theatre and the nearby King's Head pub, where the actors there go for an after-show drink. Martha had become enamoured with popular actor James Henry Walker Elphinstone, and would wait outside the theatre sometimes with her friend Sarah in hopes of catching a glimpse of Elphinstone at the end of a performance. Martha was known only to speak of Elphinstone and an imaginary life with the handsome, famous actor of the stage. News reports from the prosecution side inferred that Martha was a prostitute. There is no evidence of this, although the area she lived in was rife with prostitution. Elphinstone James Henry Walker, born in 1819 in London, had taken the stage name of Elphinstone. Elphinstone was married to a fellow actress, Ellen Norman, in 1847. Elphinstone was twenty-eight years old, and Helen was seventeen. They lived at Elphinstone's parents' house, just twenty minutes away from the pavilion. Martha's passion for Elphinstone became an obsession, and she dreamt of ways to engage directly with him. In early July 1854, Martha wrote a love note to Elphinstone, inviting him to take a walk with her to better to get to know her. The message was delivered by her friend Sarah relatively newly married Elphinstone disregarded the note and by all accounts pulled the note up. A few evenings later, Martha and Sarah could be seen once again loitering by the stage door, waiting for Elphinstone to appear from his performance and anticipating his acceptance of her invitation. Instead, Elphinstone brusquely stated he had nothing to say to Martha Or her friend and walked away. Martha was deeply dismayed and accused her friend Sarah of somehow having upset the object of her passion when she had delivered the note to him. Believing the brush off had been due to some misunderstanding, a few days later, Martha and Sarah appeared at the local King's Head pub where Martha knew Elphinstone was known to go for a quick pint. "'after a performance. "'Elfenstone, now beginning to feel stalked, "'politely declined the invitation of the two women "'to have a drink with them, and made a swift departure. "'Martha began to become desperate. "'How to get Elfenstone's attention? "'She decided that what she needed was a love potion. "'Martha and Sarah visited the local chemist's shop "'looking for a love potion that would make Elphinstone fall in love with her. The only love portion she had ever heard of was Spanish fly, which she requested. The chemist, who kept this in his shop for use by the medical profession, initially refused Martha's request, explaining that he was not allowed to sell it to the general public. Martha was distraught, and told her tale of woe of unrequited love to the chemist, who relented. He gave Martha one fly, which was enough for four doses of love potion. Spanish fly is actually a green blister beetle. The beetle crushed was used by the medical profession at the time as an aid to blistering the patient, and thought to be effective in drawing out infections. When the substance that caused the blistering made its way through the kidneys into the urinary tract, swelling would ensue, often causing erections. In Victorian England, Spanish fly was sometimes placed in drinks of unsuspecting victims in a hope that the victim would become overwhelmingly enamoured. A little went a long way. Too much Spanish fly destroys the lining of the stomach, and could cause kidney failure as the kidneys became overwhelmed for what is in essence a toxin. The Tart Now that Martha had her love potion in her hand, the question arose as to how to administer her love potion to her unsuspecting, hoped-for paramour. As Elphinstone had already refused to take a drink with her, Her thought was to make him a love tart. Martha purchased a raspberry tart from the local bakers. She carefully deconstructed the tart, taking off the lattice topping and removing the jam. Then she sprinkled the crushed Spanish fly onto the crust of the tart, carefully refilling the tart crust with the raspberry jam and replaced the lattice top. On the 30th of July, 1850, armed with her love potion tart, Martha loitered near the stage door, anxious to get the tart to Elphinstone. William Davis, a delivery boy from the King's Head pub, arrived with requested refreshments for the performers. Martha begged him to relay the tart to Elphinstone, and he agreed. Davis handed the tart to Thomas King, a dresser of the performers, who handed it to Elphinstone as he was preparing for the next show. Elphinstone, possibly, possibly suspicious that the tart may have come from his female stalkers, refused, and he told King that he could do what he wanted with the tart. King took the tart home with him at the end of his shift. Charlotte King, his wife, first had a small taste of the tart in the evening, and then finished most of the tart in the morning, leaving the green bits which she did not want to eat. Shortly afterwards, Charlotte became extremely ill, and began vomiting blood. King was certain it was from the tart, and informed Elphinstone carrying the remaining bits of tart that she had not eaten. Elphinstone took the residual bits of tart to a local surgeon in Whitechapel, who immediately identified the remaining groom bits as Spanish fly. The tart's antecedents were traced back to Martha and her friend Sarah, and the police were informed. The police arrived at Martha's door the next day, where she was arrested on suspicion of poisoning. The tart and the story of Martha Stalking of Elphinstone were presented to the magistrates, and she was formally charged with attempting to murder Charlotte King and James Henry Walker Elphinstone. We'll be back after a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, From haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9pm Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. From the Liverpool Mercury the 30th of July 1850 attempting to poison an actor at the worship street police court on on thursday martha sharp a middle-aged female servant dressed as a widow was charged with attempting to poison mr james walker elphinstone the leading tragic actor at the pavilion theater it appeared from the evidence that on a tuesday evening last about nine o'clock the prisoner called at the stage door of the pavilion theater and upon seeing a man named davis the messenger at the theater gave him a small parcel directing him to give it to mr elphinstone davis saw the dresser mr king and asked him to deliver it mr elphinstone came up at the time when finding the present for him to be a tart he returned it to mr king who took it home. His wife got possession of it, and the next morning ate apart. Almost immediately after, she felt a strange sensation and was subsequently seriously ill. Mr. King went instantly with the remaining tart to Mr. Elphinstone, who gave information to the police, who apprehended the prisoner on the previous night. Mr. Elphinstone said that he had only known the prisoner about three weeks she had been in the habit during that time of annoying him very much by sending messages to him and letters endeavoring to make appointments he disregarded the whole of them and when she took opportunities of speaking to him upon his going to his duties at the theater mr h cornelius surgeon high street in whitechapel stated that he received the tart from mr elphinstone and that it contained a large quantity of catharides the toxic substance of the blister beetle spanish fly which would produce fatal effects the prisoner said she had sent the tart to mr elphinstone and the prisoner was remanded from reynolds newspaper the fourth of august 1850 alleged attempt to poison an actor on friday martha sharp who stood charged with having attempted to administer a large quantity of cathanides to mr elphinstone principal comedian at the pavilion theater with intent to murder him was placed at the bar at worship street police court for final examination sarah Holborough deposed that for the last two or three weeks "'she had been acquainted with the prisoner, Martha Sharp, "'who had been a widow for about six months, "'and that she had lately lodged in her house. "'She had been in the habit of accompanying the prisoner "'to the pavilion theatre for several weeks past, "'and the prisoner had often urged her uh, to speak to the prosecutor.' she had been in the habit of accompanying the prisoner to the pavilion theater for several weeks past and the prisoner had had often urged her to speak to james elphinstone on her behalf as she was most anxious to become acquainted with him he james elphinstone was the constant subject of mrs sharp's conversation and she was in the habit of speaking of him in terms of the warmest admiration. She accompanied the prisoner to an apothecary's shop in Church Street, Mile End, where she requested a person behind the counter to serve her with some Spanish flies. He told her that although he kept the article, he was not in the habit of serving it to the public. But upon being further urged by the prisoner he said that he thought he could not sell her any, he had no objection to giving her some. He then supplied her with a whole fly and several traces in paper, and at the same time asking her if she intended to give it to a young man. She answered in the affirmative, and inquired how much she ought to give him, to which he replied, that he had furnished her with enough for four doses. On Sarah Harborough asking her afterwards what she meant to do with the drug, Martha Sharp replied that she would not mind giving some of it to Mr. Elphinstone. The witness accompanied Mrs. Sharp to the theatre and saw her hand the tart in a paper bag to the waiter of an adjoining tavern with directions to give it to mr elphinstone mr hamel strongly reprehended the culpable want of caution exhibited by the apothecary who had furnished the prisoner with such a deleterious drug and fully committed the prisoner to newgate for trial The case went to trial, with Martha being charged with the attempted murder of Charlotte King and James Elphinstone. From the Edinburgh News and Literary Chronicle of the 7th of September, 1850, A Woman in Love, the following singular case came before the Central Criminal Court in London on Saturday week. Martha Sharp, 26, a tall and rather good-looking woman, described in the calendar as a widow, was indicted for feloniously attempting to administer to Charlotte King a quantity of deadly poison, with intent to murder her. Mr. Robinson appeared for the prosecution. Mr. Cooper defended the prisoner. Thomas Davis, the pot-boy at at the public-house in Whitechapel Road, deposed that on the twenty-third of july the prisoner gave him a tart wrapped up in paper and told him to take it to the pavilion theatre and send it at the stage door to be delivered to mr elphinstone one of the actors he accordingly took the tart and gave it to mr king mr elphinstone's dresser and asked him to give it to that gentleman Thomas King deposed that he was engaged at the Pavilion Theatre as a dresser to Mr. Elphinstone. He took the tart to that gentleman, and he refused to receive it, and told witness that he might eat it, or do what he liked with it. He took the tart home, and his wife ate part of it the same night, and the next morning she had more, so there was only a, a small portion left, which he now produced. "'Charlotte King, wife of the last witness, "'proved that after she had eaten the tart "'she became very ill and spat blood, "'and she was not yet fully recovered from the effects. "'Mr. J. W. Elphinstone deposed "'that he was a comedian at the Pavilion Theatre, "'and he had known the prisoner by sight "'for about four months. "'He had never had any personal communication with her but he had been continually annoyed by her applications to him through another woman to meet her and walk with her. He had always declined to have any communication with her, and shortly before this transaction the prisoner sent him a note, which he at once destroyed. On the 23rd of July he saw the prisoner sitting in the boxes of the theatre, and on the same night his dresser brought him a tart, which he refused to receive. Mr. Elphinstone was asked if he could form any idea of the object of the prisoner in forcing her company upon him. Mr. Elphinstone said he couldn't form none except what the imagination might suggest. The other woman generally communicated with him, and all she said was that the prisoner wished to have some conversation with him he added that he had not the slightest idea that the prisoner intended to do him any mischief mr t cornelius a surgeon residing in high street in whitechapel deposed that upon examining the remains of the tart he had discovered they contained about 5 grains of cantharides or spanish fly, and he said that the effect of such an ingredient being administered to any person would be to cause very alarming symptoms, and he added that it was stated upon medical authority that twenty grams would be sufficient to cause death. He went on to say that a vulgar notion was very prevalent that catherinides had a particular effect, and that it it is considered as a sort of filetry or love-charm. The judge, Mr. Baron Platt, said it was a curious case altogether. He did not see how the prisoner could be convicted of intending to administer poison to a person whom there was no proof she had ever seen in her life mr baron platt asked the jury whether they thought the prisoner intended to commit a murder by the act that she had committed the jury immediately said they were of the opinion that she had no such intention and at once returned a verdict of not guilty with this lucky escape martha was released without any type of prosecution from here It would seem she moved out of the shared accommodation with her friend, and Elphinstone eventually retired from acting, but remained in the theatre production for some years. From 1850 and the heady theatrics of West End, London, we jump to 1852, to the case of Sarah Anne French. Sarah Anne, with her husband, seemed to have a happy marriage. However. Young Hickman becomes friendly with the couple, with Hickman regularly going to their house to pay his respects to Sarah Ann's sister. Sarah Ann becomes completely enamoured of him, and an intimacy develops. Sarah Ann tries to sweeten her appeal to Hickman by claiming she is in possession of £500. Hickman supposedly makes promises to marry her when she is free. The stopper to her imagined life of bliss, her husband. From the Sligo Champion, the 9th of February, 1852, Murder by Poison. Some considerable excitement has been caused in the neighbourhood of Lewis by the apprehension of a woman named Sarah Anne French. Upon suspicion of having poisoned her husband, a labouring man formerly a resident near the Gun Inn in Chiddingley, the deceased expired suddenly on the seventh of January, and an inquest was held. But no facts came out leading to the suspicion that the deceased had been unfairly dealt with, and a verdict of died from natural causes was returned. From circumstances, however, which subsequently transpired, Superintendent Flanagan ESC and Mr Lower Parochial Constable were induced to enter upon an investigation, the result of which was the apprehension of the widow as above stated. Upon receiving an intimation of what had occurred, the coroner ordered the exhumation of the body with the view of holding another inquest. A jury was accordingly empanelled for that purpose on Thursday week, and a great deal of evidence was given. The inquiry, however, was adjourned till Monday last, when the evidence and other testimony left no doubt that the deceased had died from poison administered it to him in his meal by his wife. The purchase of arsenic by her was proved. The jury, after a short deliberation, returned a verdict of willful murder against the prisoner, and she was committed to take her trial at the next assize. The Sussex Advertiser says, shortly after the arrival of the prisoner at the station-house, she was placed in a private room under female superintendence, but almost immediately afterwards was seized with hysterics, which, despite medical aid, continued with great violence for upwards of two hours. Committed to trial, the full story is revealed of her relations with Hickman, her desperation to be with him, and her plan to murder her husband. From the Fife Herald, the 15th of April, 1852. Of the many unhappy creatures who of late years have suffered for poisoning their husbands, perhaps none ever exhibited so revolting a want of feeling in carrying out her diabolical plan of murder as this wretched criminal. When, about twenty years of age and some seven years ago, she married the murdered man, who was a farm labourer and a hale, well-conditioned young fellow, they had one child, a boy, who at times was exceedingly sickly. A youth of the name of Hickman was in the habit of visiting French's cottage at Chiddingley for the purpose of paying his addresses to her sister. Those visits, however, soon aroused the suspicion of the unfortunate man French, and he expressed a desire that Hickman would keep away. This was not to be compelled. By representing that he read such nice books to the little ailing boy, he was allowed to resume his favours from the sister to the convict, Sarah Ann French. She declared... "'that she loved him, sat upon his knee and kissed him, "'and said she was possessed of five hundred pounds, "'and asked if her husband died, would he marry her? "'Half and half kind of answers were given, "'and it was then becoming evident "'that she had set about her plan to destroy her husband. "'On Christmas Eve he was a well and hearty man.' He was then taken suddenly ill, and he gradually got worse and died on the 8th of January. Hickman was in the house during a portion of his last moments. She then became much agitated and wished Hickman not to leave her. The body was buried, and as she could no longer remain on the spot of her crime, she removed her chattels to another tenement, Hickman assisting her. He then continued his company day and night, slept with her, for she was afraid to be alone. One night a tap came to the door, and thinking it was the parish constable who had come for her, for her guilty conscience then began to do its work, she made her paramour get up and thrust him into the pantry. It was the constable who put some questions to her about the unfortunate victim, and upon his leaving Hickman escaped from the pantry. By this period rumour had succeeded in effecting the disinterment of the body of the deceased, and a post-mortem examination showed that he had died of arsenic poisoning. The convict was arrested, and was ascertained to have procured two pennyworth of arsenic, and when she found that her case was more desperate, she sent for a magistrate, and declared that her paramour had administered the poison to her husband, and that it was mixed in an onion pie. Such were the brief facts adduced at the trial. How far Hickman was implicated in the tragedy we leave the reader to conjecture. He was examined as a witness against her. He appeared to have no feeling, and his intellect was of the lowest order. Once Sarah Ann realized that the arsenic was proven as the cause of death of her husband, Sarah Ann tried to place the blame on her love interest, Hickman. This was not given any credence, Sarah Anne, realising she is doomed, confesses. From the Berkshire Chronicles, the 3rd of April, 1852, The Chiddingley Murder, Confession of the Prisoner Sarah French, who was found guilty and sentenced to be executed at the Louis Assizes last week, has made a full confession of her guilt to the Reverend Mr Burnett, the chaplain of the jail. She states that she and her husband were not happy together and that she had formed a strong affection for the young man Hickman and knowing that they could not come together during the lifetime of her husband she resolved upon doing away with him and being aware that her husband was in the habit of purchasing arsenic for the purpose of killing mice she availed herself of the opportunity to get hold of some of it and put it into her husband's plate, while he left the room for a short time. On the night they had the onion pie for supper. This dose had the effect of making him very ill for two or three days, and when he recovered she went out and purchased more, and put it into his gruel on the 6th of January, carefully washing out the saucepan after he had taken it. The prisoner states that Hickman was not in any way concerned in the administration of the poison, and she says that she merely made the statement she did with regard to him in the hope that, from the nature of the connection that was known to exist between them, it might have created a belief that he was the guilty party. She also says that after her husband's death, He appeared very unwilling to carry out his promise to marry her, and she was afraid that he would have abandoned her, particularly when he discovered that there was no foundation for a statement she had made that she was possessed of five hundred pounds. These are the main statements of the confession. She was in a very wretched state, and almost paralysed at the time of the trial but within the last few days her bodily health has very much improved. The execution is fixed to take place next Tuesday. She appeared greatly agitated and excessively weak, and it was a matter of doubt whether she would be able to proceed to the drop on foot. Calcraft, the old Bailey hangman, having pinioned her, A procession was formed, and the miserable woman was led to the scaffold. Judging from her appearance, it would almost appear that at the last few minutes she was unconscious of what was passing. The executioner, with his usual alacrity, adjusted the rope and cap. The bolt, in the course of a minute or so, was withdrawn and the miserable woman was launched into eternity. From the Fife Herald, the 15th of April, 1852, the execution of Sarah Ann French. On Saturday, Sarah Ann French, who was left for execution at the Lewis Assizes for poisoning her husband, underwent the last penalty the law had to offer on the drop front of Lewis County Jail. After being condemned, she had almost to be carried away from the dock, and this prostrate condition she continued for several days. A difference of diet and the close attention of the medical and other authorities of the jail somewhat restored her. The chaplain of the jail also succeeded in bringing her mind a more Befitting bearing, and during the last few days of her life she exhibited much composure and resignation of mind. She expressed a desire to see some of her relatives before she left the world, and in the early part of the week she was visited by two or three of them. Appeals to the new Secretary of State on behalf of condemned criminals having been pecuniarily successful this assize, it was anticipated by the anti-capital punishment people of the district that the town would be spared the scene of attending a public execution. The character of the criminal's crimes, however, presented any mercy being shown to her, and on Wednesday afternoon the High Sheriff received the warrant directing that the law be carried into effect. On Saturday morning, numbers of country folk kept pouring into town. The strict regulations enforced by the jail authorities on such occasions prevents giving any account of what occurred within the walls of the prison. The chaplain was in early attendance upon the unhappy culprit, and we are authorised to state that she fully acknowledged her guilt to him and the justice of her sentence. Some few minutes before twelve, the under-sheriff made the usual demand of her body. The wretched creature was then informed that the time had arrived for her sentence to be carried out. And thus ended the life of Sarah Ann French. It was some minutes ere she appeared to have ceased to exist, her struggles being rather long and severe. After the body had hung one hour, it was cut down, and there were about three thousand or four thousand persons present. And thus ended the life of Sarah Ann French. That concludes this episode of Wicked Wednesdays highs of death. We really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, we would be grateful if you could like or subscribe to our channel. We are passionate about historical crime and do our best to present interesting cases from long ago that go beyond the usual fare. For our listeners and subscribers, thank you. We so very much appreciate the many supporters and subscribers who have helped us to build this channel. The News of the Times team all appreciate each of you for your help. We upload four days a week. Saturdays are serial killer Saturdays where we do an in-depth look at a serial killer from our extensive database. The time spans of these ranges from as early as the mid-16th century to the 21st century and encompasses men, women, children, and couples who kill. Mondays are murderous, where we investigate in-depth the historical murder. Wednesdays are wicked, where we pool together stories of a similar theme, such as stories of murders by starvation. And Fridays are frightful, with stories that are grouped by geographic location, allowing us to share lesser-known, grisly crime stories. From all of us at the News of the Times team, thank you again for watching or listening. This has been News of the Times, and I am Robin Coles.